The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. In business, you have to play to win. You need an edge. You'll find that edge in the business locker room. Hey, business is like sports, and I want to bring the locker room to the boardroom. Giving you the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. With compelling interviews, cutting-edge business tactics and ideas, and the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Welcome to the business locker room. Now, here is your host, Kelly Riggs. Hey, great to have you on the Biz Locker Radio Show, presented by the Business Locker Room. And by the way, if you are joining us out there on Periscope, great to have you with us. We're doing this brand new. We're having all kinds of problems getting the uh, actual feed set up correctly where it doesn't move around. Still in need some of equipment. I'm going to have to talk to Miles Austin about that. Of course, Miles Austin joins us each and every week on the X's and O's segment, but not this week. He's off. He's doing some uh, work away from home, away from the studio. So tough to see him, but uh, we'll have him back in our future shows. This is the Business Locker Room, Biz Locker Radio Show, operating at the intersection of sports and business. It is the online show with compelling conversations and useful content that you can use today. If you're looking to improve your business performance, whether you own a business, sell a product, manage a team, lead a company, this is definitely the show for you. Great to have you on board. We have experts in sales like I do today with Dave Stein, marketing, social media, business strategy, leadership, and much, much more. This is BizLock Rodeo. I'm your host. I'm Kelly Riggs. You can follow me online at Kelly Riggs on Twitter. And by the way, find out much more about the show at BizLockerRadio.com. Do like I do, by the way. Download the podcast on iTunes. Listen to it on your daily commute. This is show number 49. Hard to believe it's been almost a year since we started. Content on our previous shows has been spectacular. I expect more of that today. Bottom of the hour, somewhere close, will be joined by Mr. Stephen Gaffney. He's one of the coaches in the business locker room, does a fantastic job with us, writes some great material, and we're going to have a conversation with him uh, after we conclude with Mr. Dave Stein. By the way, giving away a brand new business book absolutely free, and I want to tell you much more about that as we go along. That's been an interesting enterprise. I'm excited to be doing that uh, because we get the opportunity to get uh, business books from our guests, uh, things that people have written. One of the great books recently is The Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberts, and you can get a copy of that book absolutely free. Simply take out your phone and text me, 33444, text to that number the, wor- the word BizLocker, B-I-Z-L-O-C-K-E-R. We'll put you in a drawing to give that book away as well as one of our journals, by the way, wonderful new business locker room journal. I absolutely love these. If you're a note taker, you can have one of those as well. Text the word BizLocker to 33444. Well, I've mentioned that we've got a great guest today. Dave Stein joins me on BizLocker Radio. 
to talk about sales. He was, by the way, originally, and this kind of shocked me, he was a music major and a professional trumpeter. He transitioned to the world of sales, eventually found a, uh, founded a sales consultancy, the Stein Advantage. And through his work as a sales consultant, a coach, and a trainer, he has created his own unique view of sales methodologies and approaches and the cultural, behavioral, and business changes required for corporations to excel at the sales function. We're going to get some great insight from him. He's worked with companies like Altel and HP and Honeywell and IBM. I mean, he's a who's who of Fortune 500 companies. Dave, just absolutely a pleasure to have you on board. Thanks for joining us on BizLocker Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kelly. I'm really excited to be here today. Well, you know, I also found out uh, in my work last week researching you that I, is the right word retired? I mean, you're, you're sort of retired. You don't, <laughs> well, explain to the audience about that. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, it's really funny. Uh, my friends and uh, relatives say, Dave, you know, why don't you just uh, take down the shingle? You've had it. You've traveled the world and had a great career. And I, I, I don't know. I really love this whole sales effectiveness, sales performance improvement business. I'm, I'm finally, after all these years, starting to figure some stuff out. Uh, writing a book, which will be out uh, in one year. It'll be out in April 2016. Uh, number of client projects going on. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I'm just as enthused as I was uh, years ago in terms of uh, the impact that that I have had and will have on the uh, performance of uh, of not only the Fortune 500, but uh, lots of startups as well. So, uh, you know, I, I, am I semi-retired? Maybe. I'm certainly not putting in the 80 hours a week I did for a couple of decades years ago, but uh, having a good time at it, and I guess that's what's most important. Well, if you're listening in, you're going to want to follow Dave Stein on Twitter. You can use his name, at Dave Stein. Just leave off the N at the end, and you've got it right, D-A-V-E-S-T-E-I, or you can find him online at davestein.biz. I love that biz because of biz locker room, but tell me a little bit about the book. You mentioned that. I know it's a year off, but I know how long it takes to put together the thoughts and write the book. Where are you going with the book, Dave? Yeah, great question. So, so um, uh, th- there's a colleague of mine I worked with numbers of years ago. In fact, he was uh, VP of sales at a software company, and I had been VP of sales and moved over and became vice president of operations. So he was, uh, he was in charge of the cash register, and I was involved uh, with uh, spending all the money that he brought in running uh, uh, the uh, uh, research and development and customer service and uh, education and documentation and the hotline and all that that stuff. And uh, then he went off one way and I went off another. We had stayed in touch. His name is Steve Anderson. It's no, no secret. He runs a terrific sales performance consulting group called Performance Methods. So you'll find them, performancemethods.com. And uh, I was just amazed, even though I knew Steve when I ran ESR for eight years, ES Research Group, I called it ESR. Uh, we, we were the Gartner or the JD Powers or the Consumer Reports of the sales training industry. And we'd uh, take a deep dive into about 40 sales training companies and compare and contrast their offerings and service and their success record. And one of the things that I noticed, uh, I couldn't stop noticing is the tremendous success that Steve had over the eight years that we watched his company. Well, 
ESR is gone. We closed that down uh, just about a year ago. And uh, literally the day I closed it on March 15th, uh, 2014, I got a call from Steve saying, I want to write a book with you. And I said, well, you know, tell me more. Of course, to have done it prior to that would have been a conflict of interest, but I was all sure. ears. And Steve, Steve, he's just a brilliant guy. I mean, just very, very smart. So the book we're writing, uh, and uh, you know, the, the final title isn't isn't uh, cast in concrete yet. And and just for competitive reasons, I don't want to give too much away. But I'll tell you that it's about the complete life cycle between customers and their suppliers. So it's not just about selling. In fact, uh, decision makers spend only about 5% of their time actually buying. And then the question is, what do they do for the other 95% of the time? And what can we do as sellers to impact their performance and their success and their achievement of their business plan in the 95% of the time they're not spending buying stuff? So Steve's got a lot of this figured out, and whatever he doesn't have figured out, I've managed to figure out over the years. So we're collaborating on this, and uh, I think the final point here, the the most exciting feature of the book for, for us, for both of us, is nine case studies which are going to be looking at the relationships between suppliers and their customers. And uh, so there are really 18 companies that are going to be looked at, and these are world-known brands, some of the most famous, uh, biggest best run, most desired to work for companies in the world. And uh, we've been able to uh, get interviews with the highest level executives right up to the CEOs of many of these companies to use as examples of what works and what doesn't in that whole world of ongoing long-term supplier-customer relationships. So that's, that's the book, and uh, we're about halfway through. We'll finish in plenty of time. The manuscript's due the end of August. Uh, then, of course, uh, all the promotion and the marketing and all the other sure. stuff, but uh, we're excited sure. about it. Now, if you're just joining us, my guest is Dave Stein. Find him at davestein.biz. And by the way, if you're listening live, we want to remind you, we're actually on Periscope. A lot of things in the news about Periscope in the last week, we're actually broadcasting live right now on Twitter. And all you have to do is download the Periscope app on your iPhone. Won't work anywhere else right now, but go to your iPhone, download that app, follow me at Kelly Riggs, and you can join in to the show absolutely live. Well, Dave, I, I wanted to get you on board to talk sales. I mean, you've got a rich history in selling uh, you've been uh, labeled as uh, the best sales trainer on the planet, right? Congrats- congratulations. That's pretty spectacular. It, it, it was more that uh, uh, I, I, Jeffrey James of uh, right. Inc. Magazine, I, actually the, the what he gave me was uh, uh, the world's uh, best expert in sales training. So I don't do sales training anymore, but that comes from my history at ESR, having looked at all these different sales methodologies and processes and the training and the companies and the online learning and the virtual and the instructor-led and all that. So mm-hmm. I really do appreciate that comment that Jeffrey made. Yeah, well, that, that's a, sales training. That's a great endorsement to have. A lot of people would like to have it. Well, let's start with salespeople and just getting them on board into the company. Clearly, finding the right person is the maybe the biggest part of the equation. You got to have the right material to work with. Talk about the things that sales managers or companies do wrong when they're interviewing, hiring, onboarding salespeople. Where where can we create some real change to avoid some classic mistakes? 
Yeah, well, so, so that is the biggest thing. And, and you know, it, it was kind of a, an eye-opener when, when at ESR in 2005, we started to look at the impact and the success of sales training across a lot of different buying companies, companies that bought sales training and selling companies, the sales training companies themselves, and uh, the return on investment and the improvements. And the biggest eye-opener, without getting into too much detail, is we realized that the, the, the biggest inhibitor to uh, improving the performance of a sales team is just what you said. It's the very people who, uh, who hold those sales and sales management positions. It's really quite, it, it's quite shocking. So we, we, uh, a little, a little off of our, uh, uh, I guess core competencies, we started to take a look at hiring and we realized that the hiring that was being done, uh, was, uh, by the seat of the pants, it was based more on emotion and subjectivity and the sniffed test than any kind of a methodology or process. And as it began to do some research and uh, realized that those companies that had a formal hiring process, and, and I, if you're interested, I can describe in a few steps what that looks like in pretty simple terms, but those companies who hired using a formal hiring process outperformed their competitors by a significant factor and for no other reason than these good salespeople who fit the job profile were able to onboard more quickly. They were able to, um, uh, you know, meantime before first sale was shorter. They stayed with the company longer and they delivered more in terms of uh, quota attainment. So there's a significant impact Anybody who's listening here, if you're, you know, either a sales manager and are interested in outperforming your plan, or you're a sales rep and you're interested in winding up in a job where you can kill your plan, uh, it, it's really important from either perspective to really understand how companies should hire versus the mistakes that they make. Now, I'll just give you one of the mistakes. I mean, I've heard this a hundred times. Uh, I speak to a sales manager, and, and uh, so, you know, what's, what's your attrition rate? Now, they'll tell me, uh, well, we lose uh, 20 to 40% of our salespeople every year, and I'll say, how many of those leave voluntarily, and how many are asked to leave, and whatever those numbers happen to be. And... Um, then I say, well, how do you hire? Well, you know, Dave, I've been a sales manager for 20 years, and boy, I'll tell you, if there's one thing I know, I know how to hire. I sit them in front of me, and I ask them the toughest questions, and I, I can just feel a good salesperson. If I like them, if I feel I'd buy from them, then my customers will, and everything is golden. And, of course, the statistics that they just gave me suggest that that is not the case at all. They're really doing a lousy job hiring and it's costing everybody money the shareholders and the sales manager and the salesperson and the customers and everyone else so uh, uh, it, it, we came to drew, drew a quick conclusion that a pragmatic you know easy to use pragmatic simple stepwise process to hire salespeople just like for selling and I guess the guys from Serious Decisions and CSO Insights have now and a lot of other firms, Aberdeen and, and uh, Forrester and all those other folks have now proven that companies who use a sales process institutionally across the organization outsell their competitors. Well, guess what? The companies that use a hiring process outsell their competitors as well because they're able to hire the right people for the right positions. 
Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it does seem that most salespeople are intuitive uh, seat of the pants hiring people. You know, they like you said about the one gentleman, they just feel as though they know a good salesperson. But clearly, many times, that's just a halo effect. They're a lot like me or, or, or actually maybe their resume just reads right. But if you were going to institute a fairly simple hiring process to get somebody down the road a little bit, Dave, what, what, are, what are some of those things that you would encourage people to do if they were going to immediately impact the ability to hire more effective salespeople? Yeah, so, 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 so really simple. The first thing, you have to understand how your customers buy, what their buying tendencies and patterns are, what they expect from a salesperson. Do they expect somebody to just do a, you know, show up and throw up, uh, give me a demo and I'll make my own decision? Or do they need someone who has a deeper understanding of their, the customer's business, uh, their business drivers and, and, and the customer's competitors and the customer's market and the customer's customer and be able to talk in very specific financial terms about the impact that their solution, if you want to call it that, will have on the customer's business. So we're talking about from a very uh, simple, uh, uncomplicated sales role to one of a, a real consultant, a business advisor. So you really have to figure out what skills and traits does that salesperson require in order for them to sell to my customers today with my products and services against my competitors Editors in the market with the uh, uh, in the markets that that we're in uh, and, and uh, have those skills and traits enable success and and uh, for those of you who don't know you probably do know but maybe not haven't thought about it this way skills are what you learn so I wasn't born uh, knowing how to play the trumpet I wasn't born knowing how to drive a car I wasn't born knowing how to operate Microsoft Word or do a software demo uh, the traits you are born with they are who you are intelligence drive self-motivation integrity uh, um, uh, 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 intuitiveness, uh, analytical mm-hmm. ability, uh, curiosity. These are all things which you can't teach someone to do, no matter how many classes you put them through. So the idea here is to build a profile. It's a little deeper than a job description, but a profile of the required skills that a salesperson needs to be successful and the required traits. So let's say we have 10 skills and 10 traits. That's, that's a pretty good number. It's 20 altogether. Mm-hmm. And here, here's, the, here's the secret sauce. You define a series of questions that when asked of the candidate, evoke responses that will enable you to determine whether they possess that skill or trait. So if I say, hey, Kelly, I'm just curious. Uh, are you a good negotiator? What's your answer going to be? Of course. Oh, of course, Dave. Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? I'm the best negotiator. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. You know? And uh, if I want to find out whether you're process-oriented, and I say to you, uh, what are the first three things you do when you get a sales lead? You'll go, oh, the first thing I do is this, and then I do that, and then I do the other thing. Well, I've determined nothing. I haven't determined whether you know how to negotiate, and I certainly haven't determined whether or not you would tend to follow a process. But if I ask you a question like, what do you do when you get a sales lead? And you say, well, it depends, and sometimes I do this, and sometimes I do that, as opposed to, well, the first thing I do is this, the second thing I do is that, the third thing I do is that, and the fourth thing I do is that. Now I have asked a question, the response to which has given me a clue that this person do, it does operate by process 
And if that's required for success in the job, then I have at least one box checked, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, that's that's the way it works. And, And the hardest thing is for the seasoned sales manager to get out of the mode of, of playing it by the seat of their pants and just asking any question that comes up. Hey, Kelly, what do you want to be doing in five years? And what's the toughest deal you ever had? And, and uh, what's your biggest challenge and, and uh, weakness? And, you know, those typical kinds of questions right, right. provide really no guidance and, and don't inform the right decision. So you take the sales candidate through, uh, you know, one set of uh, one interview with one set of questions, take them through another set of questions. And then we always do a background check. We always do a psychometric test. We always do a simulation where the salesperson gets to do a sales call on you, the hiring manager. They also get to do a presentation to you so you can see what they might look like in a real customer situation. And then now you have the building blocks to do something in a much more objective and, and not guaranteed, but a lower risk situation than just asking a bunch of questions, calling a few folks, reading the person's uh, profile on LinkedIn, and then basically crossing your fingers, hoping that they, they succeed. So that, that's, Absolutely. The, you know, that, that's the gist of it, and it really works. Hey, we're going to take a time out. My guest online is Dave Stein and much, much more to come from the world of sales. In fact, on the other side of the break, we'll come back and talk about some very specific tactics that will prepare you to win some very large or critical sales opportunities from a guy who's been around a very, very long time. Follow Dave Stein online and on Twitter, DaveStein.biz. We'll take that time out. We'll come back on the other side, continue this discussion. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to BizLocker Radio on Voice America. Stay- When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
This is Dan Walshman, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. Hey, thanks for joining us on Biz Locker Radio. Great to have you back on board. By the way, I want to remind you once again, if you're listening, whether you're listening live or you're listening on the podcast, it's all good. Text me, text the word Biz Locker, B-I-Z Locker to 33444 and uh, we'll enter you into a drawing to get a great new book from Mark Roberts or one of the Biz Locker Room journals, both very great to have for you. Also, if you're not the winner, we'll tell you exactly how you can get one absolutely free. What we would like to ask you to do is simply rate and review the Biz Locker Room radio show. My guest is Dave Stein. Dave, we went into the break. We were talking a little bit about uh, some of the traits that we look for and how we ask questions. I had Mark Roberts on the show two or three weeks ago and I asked him, he had a list of 10 competencies that, that he went at when he began hiring. And this is a guy who was an MIT-trained engineer, came at it uh, as a guy outside of the world of sales. And I asked him, is one of those 10 traits more important than any of the others in your experience? And he said, absolutely. The one that's most important is coachability. How does that sound to you? I, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, in the business environment, the selling environment changes so quickly. It, it changes more quickly each year as we go along. And I don't care if you're the best salesperson in your company or in the U.S. or in the world. The fact is, you're going to have to be selling differently next year in some way than you are now. And if you're not able to be coached, uh, you're going to get stuck. And if you're number one now, you're going to be number five next year, and you're going to be looking for a job in, in four years. So coachability, way up there. I agree with Mark. Well, let's talk a little bit about social selling then, because clearly it has impacted the way people work. I mean, I'm old enough uh, that when I started, you know, a, a cell phone was as big as a house, and you were lucky to have one in your car. We didn't have anything called the Internet. We didn't have all these tools. Now it's absolutely a part of the landscape some of it works, some of it doesn't. Dave, what, what are some of the pieces and parts that currently salespeople absolutely have to take advantage of? Yeah, let, let me just start by, by saying that I am very active and involved in uh, the whole social uh, networking and social selling. And in fact, uh, I, I probably get uh, 90% of my business through social. So I'm involved okay. in it and I believe in it. The thing I'm most concerned about right now is uh, a wave of hype. Uh, and uh, there could be good hype and there's bad hype, but I'm, I'm talking about potentially destructive hype around social selling replacing a lot of the proven solid components that, that uh, uh, not only successful salespeople, but sales consultants and other experts know are required to perform on an ongoing basis, making your numbers. Uh, you, you know, you don't close deals uh, through social selling. Uh, you don't do live presentations or negotiating sessions through social selling. There are a lot of things that cannot be done. So for anybody who's uh, involved with it, who's looking at it, it's terrific. You should be looking at it, especially if the customers to whom you are selling are involved in it. But it is not a panacea. It is not a replacement for the building blocks, uh, not necessarily things going back 40 or 20 or 30 or 60 years, but the building blocks that are required to close deals in a B2B environment. And unfortunately, I'm hearing too much of that. People moving from kind of the old type of selling to the new type of selling, uh, replacing one with the other as opposed to overlaying social over what has been proven to work. And, And that's my biggest concern. 
Yeah, so social is, is just tools in the toolbox. So tell me, which of the sales tools that are out there in the social selling world, uh, which, which are the ones that you rely on or that you use most in your current work? Yeah, I'm pretty active on Twitter and uh, Google, Google Plus less so. I do an awful lot on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I do uh, uh, for, for my clients. I work with them, uh, helping them uh, learn how to leverage LinkedIn and social media to help their selling efforts. But uh, I would pretty much say uh, in order, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Google Plus, and I'm very involved with Facebook. Now, hold on a second. Very involved <laughs> with Facebook, but only for friends and family. So I played around with that and did some experimenting and realized that that wasn't going to help me from a business perspective. So I sent a nice little email to about 150 business contacts contacts unfriending them from from facebook and now it's just uh, friends and family and i leave the uh, you know the the business contacts to the other three platforms yeah absolutely well again you can follow dave at dave stein take the n off dave s-t-e-i on twitter uh, find him on linkedin should be easy for you if you go to dave stein.biz i'm sure there's a link there directly let's talk about strategy and tactics dave uh, to win very large critical sales opportunities. A lot of salespeople tend to tense up when the buying cycle gets long or the sales get complex. What are some of the suggestions you would offer? Well, the, fir- the first one, and it, you know, those listeners who've been on since the beginning probably understand I'm a guy who likes to plan, do things in an orderly, uh, uh, sequential fashion. So the number one most important thing is have a plan. Now, I'm just going to you know, boast for a minute. I've been in this uh, sales consultant role for many, many, many years, and, and uh, it was within the past year that I coached a client to win a billion-dollar deal, literally a billion dollars. And I was the guy in the back room, the customer never saw me, moving around the chess pieces. We had a a virtual sales team of about 25 people, not only the sales rep who owned the account, but everybody from the the executive VP who ran that division all the way across and up and down through IT and lots and lots of other folks. And, you know, they they, they were very, very pleased, obviously, to have won the deal. Uh, But the single thing that uh, I would attribute it to is the fact that we built a plan. We kept the plan active. We kept it up to date. Everybody had their part, not that much different from an orchestra where each person has the music and there's a conductor up there kind of moving things along. And, and that really is, is, the, uh, is the, I don't want to say secret, that's the answer. And the, the, the challenge is that so many salespeople, so many sales managers, even so many executive COOs and CEOs would tend to just be, you know, uh, uh, seat of the pants, gut feel, we, we need to do this, 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 and then go do it. And, and come back and report back to me and let's see what happened. And, and that's not a plan. So it's the planning part. And uh, there's, if you folks go to my blog, davestein.biz, and just so, search through for uh, uh, planning or strategy, uh, I've written you know, countless blog posts on how to do all this stuff with these large opportunities. But the bottom line here is build a plan, execute the plan, adjust it where needed, but follow the plan. Wow, that's... You know, the, the problem with planning, you, you and I are almost two peas in a pod when it comes to this approach. Uh, the problem is, Dave, is, is planning is just not very sexy. You know, <laughs> there's, no, there's no excitement here. There, there's, there's no cool tools. There's no computer work. There's no marketing. It's, it's, it's just heavy lifting. It's slogging through the muck. It, it, 
going back to the questions that we talked about hiring people, can you predetermine through your questioning and your interviewing process if someone is predisposed to be that planner? Yes, you can. And the questions are around, uh, other than, uh, other than uh, uh, Kelly, uh, can you talk to me about the last large opportunity that you won? How did you go about winning it? Which is not a leading question. Uh, to, uh, you, you know, what, what, can you uh, sh- share with me a couple of major accomplishments in your personal life, things that you're proud of? Uh, uh, so you learn how to do a, a free handstand in yoga. Well, how did you go about doing that? And you can find out whether the person... Uh, as, as I did, and the reason why I bring that up is I'm working on that right now, and I have a plan. That, that's my goal is to do a free handstand, and I have a plan over the next number of months. Now, I'm great with the headstand, so I'm part of the way there. I need to build up the muscles of my shoulders a little more and get my balance together, but I have a plan. So when a salesperson tells you, yeah, you know, I learned to fly a plane, well, how'd you go about doing that? Well, first thing is I decided I wanted to learn to fly, and then I did this, and then I did this, and then I did this, and then I did that. You can tell whether or not they did it uh, by building a plan and executing the plan and achieving their goal or objective, or they did it just by putting one foot in front of the other and not knowing where they were going. And, and those, those kinds of questions, of course, should be included in any interview for a salesperson. Sure. I mean, the challenge, obviously, in hiring people is many people today, my experience is very few people are getting adequate sales instruction and sales training. So many times they they haven't even been trained in the value of planning and don't really understand the concept in that regard. So that that creates a real problem. Maybe they've never even been down the path to planning whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. And the other, you're absolutely right. They haven't been shown it. And the other thing is a pre conceived idea that the word plan equals a somewhere between 175 to 9,000 page document, which they have to write and fill in. And uh, some of the the most rewarding and best deals I've ever been part of in my sales career, uh, we were able to get the the, the plan to win on either one or two single sheets of paper. And I'm not talking about two-point uh, font. Uh, right, right. We're talking about 10 or 12. I mean, it's, ju- it's just, you know, what are we going to do in order to win this business? Why is the customer going to buy from us and not from our competitor? And when you can answer those questions, write it down and that becomes your plan. And it really is no more compli- complicated than that. So you you have a plan of action. In particular, you're working with the uh, company that won the billion dollar sale. I mean, the uh, the cynical among us would say, "Hey, planning is all fine and dandy. You still have to go out and execute that plan." And you're up against some fairly capable competitors, and many of them may actually, in some rare occasions, Dave may actually have a plan as well. So, what's the differentiation in the execution side? If you were going to help me along that line, if you were going to give some advice to the people listening in, what 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 do we do? after we've got that plan that's going to make a difference and move the needle with a big opportunity? Okay, so that's a great question. And and it comes back to the first part of our discussion. It comes back to the individual salesperson and the skill and abilities that they have. So I I want, in a billion-dollar deal, I want a salesperson who is well-versed in at least these three things. Number one, business and financial savvy. So they can talk about money. They can share with the customer how much money they're going to save, how much money they're going to make, how much money will be no longer at risk, and they can talk right up to the CFO level. Number two would be politics inside the customer's organization. Every organization has 
politics. And when mm-hmm. you can begin to figure out who the influencers are and how they wield their influence, uh, influencing a decision, influencing a decision maker, understanding not only who reports to whom, but also uh, who's more powerful from the political perspective and learn how to leverage those powerful political people. And the third is understanding Sun Tzu type of competitive strategies, like almost like military frontal strategies, flanking strategies, uh, ways to uh, compete against very, very tough entities, your competitors, but in a almost a military kind of way. So those three capabilities, the financial acumen, the political acumen, and the, the military-like strategies uh, are three things that can easily make the difference and, and, and enable a company to win against a very uh, substantive competitor. And a highly respected sales expert, Dave Stein, has been my guest. And Dave, it has been a fantastic conversation. Can't thank you enough for joining us on BizLocker Radio. I've got a page full of notes here, and I know people listening in are going to want to go find your blog, davestein.biz. Read those blog posts on planning. I know I'm going to. It's always good to be a student and learn more from guys who've been there and done that. Thanks so much for being a part, and I will definitely look forward to promoting your book next year. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks so much. Hey, great to have you on board. Hey, we're going to take our final time out. Really excited to come back on the other side because we will have Stephen Gaffney joining us. We're going to talk communication in the workplace. Always a great conversation with Stephen. You're listening to BizLocker Radio on Voice America. I'm Kelly Riggs. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Hi, this is Kelly Riggs, the host of BizLocker Radio. How do you take a company from zero to $100 million in sales revenue in only seven years? Learn how in the brand new book by Mark Roberge, The Sales Acceleration Formula. As the chief revenue officer for HubSpot, Mark Roberge hired, trained, and managed a sales team to create over 12,000 new clients in 70 countries. Now in his brand new book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, he shares the art and science of building predictable sales revenue from the ground up. Learn how this MIT-trained engineer put data and technology at the foundation of his sales methodology to grow from zero to $100 million in sales in only seven years. The Sales Acceleration Formula will teach you how to predictably hire and train salespeople and scale your sales revenue. Pre-order the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge at Amazon.com today. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Hi, I'm John Spence, one of the top 100 business thought leaders in the world, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. 
Yeah, and it's great to have you on board. Thanks for joining us here on Biz Locker Radio. I'm your host, Kelly Riggs, and we're at the intersection of sports and business because business is a competition just like sports. Great to have you on board. Thanks to Dave Stein, my guest in the first part of the show. Fantastic interview. Looking for his book to come out next year. Much, much more to come there. We are joined by one of the locker room coaches. I've got a series of people who contribute to the business locker room, write outstanding content for the business locker room. One of those is uh, business communication expert Stephen Gaffney. He is the leading expert on honest, open communication in the workplace, top executives from Fortune 500 companies and all types of agencies across the country come to Stephen to build trust, increase collaboration, and lead them through times of change. Stephen, great to have you back on the show, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back. Always a pleasure, my friend, and uh, and thank you publicly, by the way, for the great work you do for us here in the business locker room. We're going to talk today about an, an, an interesting kind of phenomenon that uh, infects business organizations, and that is uh, sort of this uh, tendency of people to want to take out people at the top. They want to uh, talk bad about them, create all kinds of problems. You've written about it. You've spoken about it. Uh, kind of give us a lead into the idea of this discussion. Well, I call these people TDPs, tear down people. They will yeah. tear you down. And this is a big problem because we have to protect our mindset and our confidence. So if we have people around us when we're doing some kind of uh, or we make some kind of success happen and they say, well, you just got lucky or that's good for you, but that's never going to happen again. Or, yeah, you know, you got a big break there because you know some of the key people there, but it's not going to last. I mean, that's the kind of stuff we need to really confront or run from. Yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, we've got some guests on Periscope joining us, and uh, you mentioned they could send you an email, so I want to let everybody you can do that. StephenGaffney.com is the website. You can send him an email at Stephen at StephenGaffney.com. Tell him what you're looking for. Stephen will be happy to take your calls and uh, take your emails and respond to those. Uh, why, Stephen? Is it just people being people? I mean, is, that, is, is, is it insecurity? Is, is there more to it than that, or is it just people being people? Great question. So I've been in the trenches with employees for almost 20 years, and I've identified there's three main reasons why you have these people who try to TDPs, you know, they tear down people. Number one is these people live in scarcity versus abundance. These are people who believe there's actually almost, there's almost, there's actually a better way to say it is these people actually believe there's only so much success to go around. If you get more, I get less. If you get less, I get more. But the truth is, other people's successes raises the potential level of success for us all. A rising tide lifts all boats. In business, success creates opportunity. It creates a bigger pie. When something good happens, more opportunities are created because others have now paved the way. I mean, Kelly, look at what Oprah did for talk shows. Look what Survivor did for reality TV. Look what American Idol did for talent shows. Look what the iPad did for tablets. You know, the key thing is when somebody is really successful, it creates opportunities. So if we have somebody fall from grace or a company go downhill, that's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. And when other people are successful, that actually creates all opportunities. So we need to be cheering people on, even if it's a competitor, because eventually that's going to pave the way for a potential success for us. Yeah, no question about it. Now, let's let's get into the practical world, the real world. I'm a manager. I've got a department of people, and I've identified one of those 
TDP. He's one of those teardown people. And I've got to address this as a manager. I, I would assume that's where you're taking us is you simply can't allow that to continue. Uh, Stephen, what's the process? I mean, how, how do I, you know, a lot of managers, they don't like the conflict. Uh, they don't like the issues. They just soon kind of bury their head in the sand and hope it goes away. Uh, clearly, that's not going to work. So what, what's the best way to go about addressing it? Well, I wrote about this in my uh, latest book, Be a Change Champion. I call these change blockers, or you could look at them as TDPs. I mean, bottom line is they're always saying something negative, and you must confront them because they are like a cancer. They are going to infect your mind, and they're going to infect your organization. And I feel like I can use the word cancer because I'm a cancer survivor. And just like cancer, if left unchecked, it will infect your organization. So you must confront that person. And you must say, listen, I appreciate feedback, but what's your idea? How do you move it forward? You know, so when somebody's really negative, one great line you can use with them, which is actually a good question to ask them, is what would you suggest? So somebody says, well, I don't like the way you did this, or this happened, and I don't really approve of it, or I'm not really a big in favor of this. Well, what would you suggest? You know, what would you suggest? You know, it's so easy to take down somebody else. It's so easy to knock down a plan. But the question is, are people contributing? So you really have to watch for this type of thing. And what I've identified, there's three signs to look for in any team or any organization that is keys to looking at their health their health of their communication. And one of them is, which deals with this, is positive debate. We want to have debate. It's okay. It's okay if somebody says something that's contrary. But the key thing is what I mean by positive debate is they are making some suggestions of moving things forward. So they might say, I don't like this, but then they say, well, here's three ideas. That's different. That's not what we're talking about when we say TDPs. TDPs, they just say stuff that's negative and left unchecked. That will infect your organization and potentially ruin your organization. How much of that will you tolerate as a manager, Stephen? I mean, at what point do you have to cut ties with somebody who's really that, that cancer? Is that, is that a quick process? Or are you trying to coach them out of it? How does that look? Well, I'm a big favor in favor of actually coaching people. And so one of the things I found is that people who are TDPs, they don't recognize that because usually people don't want to deal with that. So the first, sign is to, the first thing you've got to do is make them be aware of their problems and okay. what's happening and their impact. Second, coach them out of it. But if you coach them and you give them suggestions and they don't move forward, you've got to deal with that. You know, I interviewed an executive a long time ago on a TV show I had, and it was, it was actually a bad TV show, but I got a chance to meet some pretty <laughs> successful people. And I'll tell you, Kelly, one of the key executives that I interviewed years ago, he said, if you can't change the people, change the people. yeah i i I don't think there's any way around it i mean clearly but you know the challenge you run into is is that people begin to balance in their minds Stephen. a manager will say well you know the devil i'm dealing with now is better than the devil i don't know down the road and i'd I'd have to do that person's work while i interview and hire and i have to confront them and they've got you know they they create all this movie reel of fears and issues and challenges and yet the, the real problem continues to exist and if they don't address it they've got a problem sometimes it's not the manager coaching the employee sometimes it's the manager's boss coaching the manager and how to deal with the kinds of issues they have to encounter but you got to confront it i got to tell you kelly years ago i had an employee who actually was pretty mediocre and he was saying some negative stuff and um i hired a great employee and my rationale was well i hired this great employee i don't want too much disruption in my organization so i didn't really address that mediocre employee who was actually negative And eventually, I lost that really great employee. And I learned that lesson. 
you must confront the situation. You know, time deepens wounds and deepens problems. When we look at our life, problems left unchecked usually get worse. They don't get better. They give the appearance, Kelly, of getting better, right? Because right. When, you, when you pull yourself out of that situation, initially it's like, well, I got upset over something so small. And we start to rationalize. But that problem doesn't go away. So time deepens wounds and deepens problems. We must confront it as soon as possible. So these problems are not going to get better left unchecked. They're going to get worse. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, let's go back to your three points then. The first one is you've got to encourage positive debate, which uh, for some managers might be a little tricky. You know, there, there could be some insecurity there, but clearly that's the right way to go. What's number two? Forward resolution. I always look for this in an organization or a team. Basically, what I'm looking for when I observe that organization, or in particular that team, one is obviously positive debate, which we just talked about. Second is once the debate is happening and there are actually people making suggestions, whether there's forwarding resolution. In other words, whether the resolution, they come to a resolution, and then it actually helps the organization, as opposed to coming to this point. Well, let's just agree to disagree. What right, in the world right. does that mean? That's a <laughs> cop-out. We must make a decision. You know, I was working with the CIO a couple years ago, and she was really good at creating debate. That wasn't the problem. But she wasn't forwarding the resolution. In fact, so the best way to view it, the airplane was circling the airport, but nobody wanted to land the plane. Nobody made a decision. And so I said to her, look, it's good that you've got this debate. It's robust and it's good, but you're not making a decision. You're not having resolution. And so people want things moving forward. And we have to watch out for these cop-out lines to say, well, let's just agree to disagree, or we'll just table it, or we'll look at it later. Again, time deepens wounds and deepens problems. And we must take care of the problems now, and we must bring resolution as quick as possible. Hey, we're joined by Stephen Gaffney. Find him at stephengaffney.com. Follow him on Twitter as well, Stephen underscore Gaffney on Twitter, and you'll want to make sure that you're reading his stuff. Does great video work. You'll want to have that in the, the stream of things that come across your desk on a regular basis. By the way, while I'm thinking about it, great, great, great show next week. And I'm going to tell you more about that before the show closes. But we're in the middle of talking with Stephen about the kind of people that tear others down inside organizations and how you have to deal with those things. You've got to encourage that positive debate, Stephen, and then that forward resolution. That's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that. What, how do you tie it up? What's number three? So the third thing that I always look for in the health of a team and the health of an organization is spontaneous ideas. See, Kelly, a lot of times what will happen is somebody will say, well, we have ideas. But the pro- what I'm looking for is not when you ask somebody, hey, do you have any ideas? I'm looking for spontaneous ideas. And healthy organizations, healthy teams have people kind of coming up to other people and saying, listen, I got an idea for you. It might be a crazy idea, but let me tell you. So here's what I would challenge people who are listening in. How often are people coming up to you and saying, hey, I got an idea for you? And if you think, well, you know what, maybe I have people in my life, they're not that creative. No, you know what I ask audiences? How many of you have great ideas for people and have not shared all those ideas? And whenever I ask an audience that, most people raise their hand mm-hmm. because they confess that actually they have ideas and they are withholding those ideas. What if that was the golden idea that would move your life forward, move your team forward, move your organization forward? So what we're looking for is not that we have to always pry and ask for people ideas. I'm looking for spontaneous ideas. And healthy teams and healthy organizations, you've got people just walking up to people periodically and saying, hey, I've got some ideas. You don't have to take them, but here's something I've got for you. Right. You know, it's interesting because it illustrates this very 
very delicate irony inside of organizations, and that is we know we, we actually say out loud we want our people to be more creative, we want them to be innovative, we want them to bring us ideas. At the same time, we really don't, but, you know, because number one, it's not my idea, and I've got this certain insecurity about it not being my idea, or even worse, even though I'm trying to encourage you to be creative and innovative, I don't really want to change. It's too much work. Uh, that that's kind of an interesting dichotomy. How do you put those pieces and parts together? Again, I tend to put a lot of the onus on the on the manager, Stephen, for somebody who, if you're going to encourage your people to have ideas, you have to have that vulnerability to step out there and actually consider them. Great question. So here's a principle that I teach. We train and condition people on how we want to be treated. We actually train and condition people on how we want to be treated. Let's take a look at honesty, and then I'll, I'll show you how this applies to ideas. So a lot of things that I've talked about, obviously, on previous shows, the big problem in the workplace is not what people say. It's what they don't say. It's what they leave out. It's what we're saying. Why didn't they tell us? Well, one of the reasons why is because sometimes we train and encourage people to not tell us the truth. Here's an easy example. You ever have somebody in your life say, listen, Kelly, I want to hear your feedback. Can you give me some feedback on this situation? So you give them some constructive criticism, and they don't like it, and they flip out. They get defensive. Right. Next time they ask you for feedback, what are you thinking? Yeah, not today. I don't want to go there. Right, exactly. (laughs) Well, how this applies to ideas is, you know, oh, we want to hear ideas. We we love hearing ideas. But then people start suggesting ideas, and people say, oh, that won't work. We tried that before. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's look at that later on. And pretty soon people are saying, you know, they ask us for ideas. They want to hear us ideas, but they don't move on one single idea, and they tend to just tell us why things won't work. So eventually people give up. And that's the problem. We train and encourage people on how to treat us. The question is, what are we training people every day to do? To give us honest feedback, to give us ideas, or to not give us honest feedback and not give us ideas? We hold the keys. The question is, how are we training and conditioning people around us every single day of our lives? What kind of difference does it make, Stephen, when you begin to eliminate these people that tear down people at the top? What kind of impact is it going to have on, a, on an organization? I mean, cl- clearly there's an impact. Is, is it subtle? Is it dramatic? What's your experience? It's, it, well, of course it's dramatic. And here's an easy way to view this. Let's say you're leading a group of people, and you've got somebody who's just negative, and they're, and they're pretty they're a pretty smart person. And you say, well, listen, if I get rid of that person, then I've got to go hire somebody who might not get a good replacement. So I'm just going to let that person be. So let's say they're working at about 60%. Well, if you don't take care of this situation, you'll train and encourage people that really they should all work at 60%. I mean, Kelly, have you ever been part of an organization at any time in your life where you've got somebody who actually is encouraging mediocre behavior, even if you're a star performer, eventually you just become potentially that mediocre behavior or at least adopting that, or worse, you leave the organization. So the problem is that when we rationalize and say, well, you know what, that person's okay. No, we want star players. We want A performers. So we have to do what it takes to take a stand that that's the kind of behavior we want. So when we recognize these people that can be negative, we've got to first make them aware of the problem, then coach them out of it. But if they don't change, you've got to make some changes. Folks, there are no problems in business that aren't communication problems. I can assure you, you're listening to one of the world's foremost experts on business communication inside the workplace. He's Stephen Gaffney, and it's this kind of thing that people pay him an awful lot of money to get 
uh, to use inside of their organizations. You've got to identify these people. Stephen, uh, I really like the way you come at this, and, and it requires that a manager become much more in tune with the human side of people, and they have to be concerned about much more than just the technical aspects of their job. Uh, how difficult is it to take someone who's task-oriented and get them to begin to think like this? Well, you know, my experience is, and this means, I mean, we've been focused on a lot on negative stuff um, in this interview, but the right. truth is, what I have found is people really want to do a good job. So when they're negative and when they're having challenges, a lot of times, Kelly, it's because nobody's really told them the truth of, of, and made them aware of it and made their impact, uh, what their impact is to the organization. So it's so critical to actually say to yourself, you know what, how am I contributing as a manager and as a, a leader? And am I telling the truth and am I confronting that person? Because often somebody's just clearly unaware. Now, you may be thinking, well, this person is such a lousy attitude. They have to be aware of how they're coming across. Well, I've been in the trenches, again, with employees for almost 20 years, and I've got to tell you, a lot of people who are negative, they're just unaware of their impact. Yeah, they're aware that they're not the most positive person, but they'll rationalize, well, I'm just trying to help the organization, just trying to help out that person. But when they become aware of how they're impacting, often they'll change. So the first thing we've got to do is make them aware and then try to coach them through it. And what you'll find out is very often people will change. Yeah, it's great stuff from Stephen Gaffney. Stephen in StephenGaffney.com. You're going to want to check him out. Follow him on Twitter as well. Stephen underscore Gaffney on Twitter. Well, that's going to wrap it up for another edition. Edition number 49, by the way, of BizLocker Radio. And you've been listening uh, to me talk to Dave Stein earlier in the show. And then Stephen Gaffney, you'll want to read his stuff online as well at the Business Locker Room and at StephenGaffney.com. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me, Kelly. All right, that's going to do it for today's show. Special thanks to those two gentlemen, and special thanks to to Miles Austin. He's not here, but he'll be back. He's uh, out on uh, some outside of his office work. Stay with us next time. Join us here on BizLocker Radio every Monday, 3 o'clock Central Time. Thanks to Michael Sergit, our engineer, Brandy Jackson, our producer. And we'll see you all on episode number 50 next week of Business Locker Radio. Biz Locker Room Radio. Thank you. Thanks for joining the Business Locker Room with your host, Kelly Riggs. Kelly will be back again next week for more business-building content and conversation for your playbook. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel for another edition of The Business Locker Room. Remember, business is a competition. Play to win.